Hey, it's Yona Bud. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. On this episode, Canada has finally launched its first suicide prevention line. And we discuss why it's so important now. We also reflect on the hostages from both Israel and Palestine being released back to their families and why road rage could cost you more than just some anger. And finally, we touch on the disturbing plague of sextortion that has claimed the life of yet another young boy in BC. We speak with an expert and a survivor about what drives sextortion and how survivors and parents can try to heal and protect others from becoming victims themselves. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. Like to get to the story, uh, really not the story, really, it's really, I want to get to a place where we can understand a little bit about what it's like to be held in captivity and what's involved in you know, being released. What does that feel like? So um, we're going to talk specifically about hostages here as we've all been, you know, listening to the news and uh, reading, uh, reading whatever you can read and watching whatever you can watch in order to see what's going on in the Israel Hamas uh, uh, war and uh, people being released on both sides, prisoners and hostages alike. Uh, And, you know, it's, it's an interesting state of mind. It's, it's, it's a very difficult state of mind to expect that someone is going to come out of captivity and as much as being somewhat weathered by uh, perhaps, you know, not eating properly, sleeping properly, but there's a ton of psychological and psychiatric type stuff that goes on uh, underneath the surface that you don't see, you know, when you look at the news and you're watching, you know, our our news affiliates across the country and you're seeing their reports uh, and you see what look like relatively healthy people and even some of the kids were smiling a little bit um so on the outside they may look okay so let me tell you a quick story about uh, a a person i worked with uh, back um, years ago and um, she was a victim of um of human trafficking and was held against her will for uh close to six months Uh, i think just shy of six months and she had a really difficult time uh, once she was recovered, uh, we were part of the uh, part of the team that helped her. Uh, once she was uh, uh, basically, she was able to escape uh, one afternoon, and uh, we were able to police were able to get to her, and people were immediately put in place to help her and put her in a place where she could be safe and so on. And in conversations with this young woman, you know, we talked about the things that you know scared her the most, and 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 that she was most fearful of. And, you know, we would go through these conversations and she would talk about closing her eyes and she was fearful of closing her eyes. Um, You know, smells were a big thing for her. Apparently she was around the abductors. They were using her uh, for, they were selling her um, for sexual, um, uh, for sexual uh, services from, uh, you know, motel to motel from one province to the next. Uh, Apparently she went from uh, Montreal and ended up somewhere in, uh, in Alberta. But, um, you know, she was telling me, you know, her, her mom was telling me stories that, you know, it was, she, she sleeps on the floor at that point anyway. Um, it's been, it's been some time, uh, but she was, you know, she, she would have to sleep. She, she was only comfortable sleeping on the floor. Um, she ate her food for the first month out of a dog bowl because that's what she was used to doing. She was, wasn't able to raise her eyes up to, to look at people, to make any kind of real eye contact. Um, so, you know, you got to understand that, 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 
hostages, people that are being detained against their will. Sometimes it's in a domestic situation in Canada, in 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 in, in your own home somewhere, you know, in in you know where you live. It could be a neighbor, right? Someone living uh, in an abusive environment uh, can't seem to get out fast enough, right? And for those types of people, there's all kinds of ways to recover um, with the help of services and support groups, but. You know, from a, the perspective of someone who's in captivity, uh, be, you, you know, one would think typically soldiers that are uh, held uh, in captivity, you know, the amount of, of um, psychological support that's required when they leave, when they when they're when they leave, when they're when they're recovered or when they're they're found or rescued, um, it, it's it's takes years and years and years. So hostages usually experience a range of uh, psychological impacts like anxiety, depression. Uh, they're very disoriented. A lot of grief. Uh, promotes tra traumatic stress, survivor's guilt if they survive. For example, the you know the the uh, uh, hostages that are coming back from um, the Hamas terror, um, you know that they were subjected to. Uh, you know, there a lot of them you know are coming home and others are not, and that leads to a whole bunch of of negative um, psychological mindsets in terms of guilt and remorse and so on. Uh, but there's also, you know, a whole lot of other traumatic stuff going on. And, and often, you know, it's, it's not often that you see it necessarily right up front. It's some of this stuff takes time and recovering from a, such a traumatic effect, a traumatic event, like, uh, like, you know, being held hostage, God forbid, uh, you know, being held in a position like that, you know, often uh, takes years to overcome it years. Uh, and the process can take even longer with children and, and with elderly people. So care and recovery, it's also like, the, you know, it's five areas to really pay attention to, right? The physical part is very important. Vitamins, they have to make sure that they're, they have proper vitamins, proper food, uh, exercise to build up the muscles. Muscles atrophy after a while. They get they get weak and, and, um, and non-responsive if you've been, you know, stuck in a corner for a period of time or tied up like, like many are, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but spiritual and emotional support is is huge right uh there's you know you're dealing with things like numbness fear there's a feeling of helplessness uh there's an irritability that they be, some people become very withdrawn uh, so it, it, there's a lot of situations to deal with including uh the cognitive concerns like uh, impaired memory or uh, decreased ability to concentrate so the kind of recovery that we're talking about here the you know the 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 soldiers uh the IADF soldiers that are being trained to deal with the um, uh, the captives once they once they have them in their uh, in their custody, um, and, and in terms of how to introduce themselves to to the children in particular, uh, their ministry, the Israeli Israel's Minister of Welfare and Social Affairs, uh, released detailed instructions on exactly how to care for child uh, hostages and, and and adults separate. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's not just a function of, you know, greeting them and making them feel warm and welcome. There's an awful lot of support that has to go with that. Right. And so too, with people that are in abusive relationships, right. It's, it's, uh, you can so often feel like, uh, you know, you're stuck in a, you're stuck as in captivity. You know, many, many people talk about their fears of, uh, feeling like they're, they can't get out. There's no way to, to get out of the relationship they're in and they feel very stuck and, and trapped. Right. Um, you know, there was a story of a woman and her children. She left the family, left the bad situation, ended up building a house for her and her kids. And that was one of the ways that she was able to, to recover. Right. 
But the, the psychological trauma, the post-traumatic stress, you know, we see it with uh, soldiers that come back from uh, warriors that come back from uh, from serving their country. You know, we, we, we often see uh, terrific signs, terrible signs of post-traumatic stress. And um, for years, waking up in the middle of the night with tor- t- horrible dreams. So there is a solution. There is care for such uh, for such disorders. And, um, you know, getting to the right kind of people is critical. Uh, to make that uh, to make that transition, so be a lot of psychological, a lot of psychologists and social workers and crisis experts on the ground on both sides, helping people uh, regain their uh, their sense of freedom. So we wish everybody well for sure. Canada has uh, made a, a huge leap in the right direction. Have a listen to what Federal uh, Minister of Health. Uh, has to say, Yara Sachs, uh, on the subject of uh, the leading cause of death today. Have a listen. Suicide is the leading leading cause of premature death in our country. Every year, approximately 4,500 people in Canada die by suicide. It's a hard number to sink in. 12 people die by suicide each and every day in this country, and that is 12 too many. There's 12 too many families with broken hearts, 12 too many communities who grieve each and every day. So we're talking about a suicide uh, crisis hotline. 988 is the number. Took some time to bring it together. Obviously, the federal uh, tra- uh, people, the people that deal with federal uh, communications and such, uh, the um, radio uh, people in charge of uh, radio and communication, they had to make sure that such a thing was was made available, was able to be uh, coordinated across the, across the country. Um, and at the end of the day, it's um, a remarkable service. It's uh, fully funded um, and um, has a tremendous um, impact, I think, in terms of, of some way for people to connect and feel like they're they're getting heard. And, and and that's the biggest part of this thing, right? The biggest part of this thing is making sure that people actually get heard, um, which is a big part of the of the of the need for urgent care, right? Immediate urgent response. So the, the quicker you respond, the more likely you are of uh, helping someone, <clears throat> excuse me, turn their thinking around. Uh, the Canadian Radio Television Communications, uh, Telecommunications Commission are the people I was talking about, um, CRTC are the people I was talking about. It took them some time to coordinate this whole thing and and make it all happen. But, you know, I can tell you after working with a ton of kids uh, over my career uh, that one of the things that seems to be uh, most prevalent is, you know, a, a teenager who's going through a difficult time, has nowhere to turn. Sometimes the situation is caused uh, at home, uh, so they can't really, you know, talk to anybody at home. Perhaps it's, you know, happening at school. They don't, can't tell their friends. They don't feel like uh, sharing information. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, people feeling low self-esteem, sometimes guilt, remorse, uh, terrible thoughts around themselves, which prevents people from looking for the kind of help they need. So it's very isolating. It's very difficult uh, for people, especially young people, to get connected the way they need to. 988 provides that opportunity. So there's a kid's helpline. They also have the ability to text or call. Um, And the, the advantage here is that um, getting somebody in real time, be, be able to get somebody on the phone or on a text call or in some form uh, in real time is um, the, really the deal breaker. That's the that's the difference between saving a life and not saving a life is the timing of it all. Because when people are suicidal, they're they're that way in that moment. 
and perhaps they've had thoughts leading up to it for a long period of time. You don't know until you've, you've done some uh, debriefing and, and worked with the patient uh, after uh, the prevention, the, the suicide prevention, um, you know, the rescue, if you will. But 45 people in Canada die by suicide, which is equivalent to 12 people dying by suicide every day. 12 people dying every day. So that's more than 200 people in Canada attempt suicides, right? 200 people attempt. 12 people a day actually die. So in Canada, the following groups have higher risks of suicide. Men and boys, people serving federal sentences, survivors of suicide loss and survivors of suicide attempt, First Nations and Métis communities, especially amongst the youth, people that live in Inuit regions in Canada, <clears throat> they seem to be at the highest risk. Um, but, you know, if, if you're a loved one, uh, you or a loved one, you know, has uh, attempted suicide or, uh, you know, was at a point where they were feeling like ending their life. And by the way, it's not just a question of feeling like you're suicidal. <clears throat> it's about having a plan. And anybody who's doing uh, crisis intervention during the midst of a suicide call, you know, you want to gently get to the conversation about the plan. Because if someone has it well planned out, it's a much greater chance that they're, 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 they're actually going to try to take their life, right? So what we want to do is we want to make sure we intervene quickly and we talk to them about their plan and we discuss it and, and uh, hear what they have to say and provide options and other suggestions, right? Well, maybe you could do this instead, right? Maybe we could try this instead. Have you thought about doing this? And, you know, I feel your pain. I feel your, you know, you're, you're, you're very uncomfortable and you're sad and you're hurt and, you know, but let's talk about, you know, some things that, you know, a little bit of something that might be worth living for, changing the thought around a little bit to some of the things they might be grateful for that might be worth living for, so to speak, right? Kind of change the tape in their head. But it's, it's a function of making sure that uh, someone on the other end knows what they're doing. So this program is designed to um, help people be there as a quick response when someone is in need anywhere in the country. You dial 988 from anywhere. And for anyone, by the way, children and young adults uh, alike. Um, but understand that this is a program that's designed to help people in crisis, not necessarily to guide you or help you navigate your way uh, through the mental health services in Canada. Right? So... Um, in addition to calling 988, by the way, First Nations and Inuit and Métis communities will also be able to reach the Hope for Wellness hotline. Uh, its responders were specifically trained in cultural uh, humility and are available by calling the number 855-242-3310. Services are available in Cree, Ojibwe, um, and other um, other of the uh, several other um, uh, you know First Nations uh, languages. Aboriginal languages, uh, kids, uh, the kids help phone, the hope for wellness service is also a menu for kids in various forms. Uh, they can make some choices. One of the reasons 988 was actually adopted as the digits for the hotline. It's because it's the same number that they use in the U S and have been for some time. So they're trying to make it consistent. So who's going to answer the phone so far, a network of 39 partners across Canada will offer support, um, uh, close to close to home through 988. There's a hub of trained responders who can be called on when more capacity is needed. Uh, but they're partnering with um, different organizations throughout the country that are in position to take these calls. Um, and you know what happens is the responders take a non-judgmental approach. They discuss whether there's a plan. Uh, they associate any associated mental health issues. 
the use of substances, perhaps if someone is really high uh, at the same time of making a decision around keep, you know, saving their life, you know, whether they want to live or die, uh, often being inebriated or high uh, can have an impact on that. So, you know, you want to get all this information. And a caller will first hear, <clears throat> you first hear the greeting when you call that you've reached 988 Suicide Prevention Line and be asked which official language you want to use. Those under 18 will be offered a specialized support line. And there's a privacy message with a link to find out more. So um, a group of 988 suicide prevention responders is shown on their phones and, um, and on computers across the country for people that are responding. Uh, anyone who reaches out will be served. Uh, 988 is meant to keep someone safe, not meant to navigate, as we told you. The responder listens or reads the texts, responds with empathy and compassion, and stays engaged. So uh, what's included is the um, everyone who reaches out will be served. And it's meant to keep people safe at the moment and refer them, uh, get police involvement when necessary. Um, but before it can be launched, it took a lot of uh, a lot of coordination, right? So CAMH, uh, Canadian Addiction and Mental Health uh, Facility, uh, was a big part of it. They, they report to a Public Health Agency of Canada, and they're going to report on how many calls come through and the impact of the calls and whether they were able to... Uh, uh, to, to resolve the problems and, and, and help somebody uh, in crisis in real time and make a difference. So uh, great thing. Uh, been a long time coming. We've been thinking about this for a long time as a country. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's a, a great step in the right direction. And uh, the more, the more rapid the response, the more lives we're going to save. And it's just primary. It's just that simple, right? So um, yeah. Want to volunteer? Give them a call. Maybe there's a chance you can get about some volunteer time. If you're a social worker or a psychologist or someone you want to get involved, I'm sure they're looking for some more support. So hook up with the 988 people and see what you can do to make a difference. So have you ever ordered a package? I, oh, let me let me do, come at this a different way. So let me tell you about me. Okay, so ever order package, you can call in actually, 877-399-9898. You got some time to call. Ever had a package delivered to you from an online purchase and they say it's delivered and they got a picture of it being delivered and you go outside and it's not there. You go to your door, it's not there. You go to your mail room and it's not there. Well, let me tell you something. I live in a condo and I don't walk so easily. I, as you know, I get around on the scooter and I've had numerous occasions in the last couple of years uh, last year or so, where the Amazon guy delivers something, Amazon person delivers something, says it's delivered, shows a picture of it being delivered to a location that doesn't look at all like my front door. I'm, you know, when I call Amazon, they tell me to go look in the building to see where else I might be able to find it. Uh, I did that the first couple of times. I don't do that anymore. Um, but this whole concept of porch pirates, you know, porch pirates or porch piracy. I guess is the uh, what we're talking about. So in a condo, a little more difficult. It's a little more difficult to scoop something in front of somebody's door uh, in the hallway of a building. Uh, much easier to do it from the front door of um, someone's home. But the 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 imagine right, you're waiting for the package. You're tracking it like I do. I'm tracking it. I'm tracking it. It's supposed to be here. It's supposed to be here. It's coming today between eleven and two. Eleven and two. I'm where I need to be. I'm excited to get whatever it is that's coming because that's you know kind of what I do. It's kind of my my OCD, my ADD. I kind of have no, not a lot of patience to wait for things. So I, you know, I'm excited when they're coming. I track everything, Uber, pizza, food, delivery, anything. I track everything and um, they don't show up. It just doesn't come. And then it shows that it's been delivered, but it's not there. And then you get a hold of people like FedEx and Canada Post and so on. They say, well, you know, they claim it was delivered, but, uh, you know, maybe I'll see it tomorrow. 
So often we find situations where drivers drop the stuff off or don't drop the stuff off because it's too much trouble, especially during COVID, too much time to get out of their vehicles and, and have to you know buzz something and come up or have you come down, whatever. Whatever the reason is, um, the whole concept of delivery, home delivery via online shopping isn't perfect. Well, porch piracy even makes it less uh, less of a thing. Have a listen to what James Anderson of FedEx Canada says about stolen packages. Enterprising criminals have found opportunities to swipe packages from people's porches unsuspectingly. And it's unfortunate because anytime this happens, it's impacting families' ability to get those that holiday to-do list done and just start enjoying the, the joyous of the occasion way. I would call the police and say I'm a victim of a type of a package theft. It's theft. I can't answer, emphasize enough. It's, it's a theft and you've been a victim of, of a crime. And, uh, you know, the police do want to hear from you on this. So imagine if you've ordered this package, right? And you want to give it to somebody as a gift, okay? You want to give it to somebody as a gift. 877-399-9898. That's how we can communicate with each other. Give us a call or a text. Imagine you're waiting for the package to give it to somebody as a gift. You order it way in advance and it never shows up. It's been stolen. It's been misplaced. It's been whatever. So it's nice that you get, you know, you get your money back if it's Amazon. And I think, you know, most uh, legitimate uh, online shopping platforms will give you your money back, but it doesn't help you. It certainly doesn't help me, right? Uh, get my stuff back in the event that uh, someone takes it from me. Like it's a big thing. It's and, and and frankly, it's not just a feeling of someone stealing your stuff, but I view it as as as, as kind of a uh, an intrusion. You know, uh, an intrusion in my life, and, and and I feel more at risk because someone's you know knows where I live. They took my package. They take my stuff. Uh, I feel like I've been, uh, uh, you know, I've been uh, definitely wronged in a in a way that makes me feel unsafe, both emotionally and physically sometimes. Right. So, in conjunction with Angus Reid, FedEx did a survey: fifteen hundred Canadians online uh, between October first and October fifth of this year. And the probability sample, the size, you know, plus or minus a couple, right? So according to them, customers should take advantage of order tracking, which is shareable with friends and family and includes photo on delivery and pickup options to avoid losing a package. Well, that's great, except that we now know that there was a delivery person, certainly in Toronto, I don't know where else this took place, a delivery person in Toronto not long ago who was arrested for uh, stealing packages he delivered. How'd that work? That's how it works. Drop a package off, take a picture of it in front of the door that you're supposed to deliver it to, pick up the package and take it back with you. Now, the problem is with people like this, they're stupid. Why are they stupid? Because everyone has a camera, a ring camera, some kind of camera across the street, some form of security. Pretty much everyone today living in a home has some form of outside security, whether it's a simple camera like uh, a doorbell camera or a more complex system, you know, tied to cameras around the house, in the house, and so on, right? So the chances of getting caught, and if you don't have a camera, someone across the street might have a camera, and likely that they'll pick it up. So the chances of getting caught committing these types of crimes are very high. Someone's going to see. Someone's going to pay attention, especially if you're running around in a vehicle that's marked and wearing a uniform. So this whole online shopping thing, which has replaced the prevalent, the prevalent, the prevalence of in-person shopping, which, frankly, I still like to do when the opportunity arises. But if you're ordering stuff and you're having it delivered to your house, and you know you're concerned about you know whether it's actually going to be there or not, because that's something now you need to think about. 
right? Like Canada Post says, for example, customers should pick a safe location outside their home, such as a garage or a side door. You can do that, by the way, on the Canada Post uh, uh, website. You can provide a secondary delivery location, a more subtle uh, delivery location, uh, safer I guess is another way to put it. Um, you can also have it delivered to a nearby post office. Uh, same too with if you're living in a building. Perhaps you can have your package delivered to the superintendent's uh, uh, office or the, the, you know, if there's a, in, in my building, there's a security gate. So they can, uh, I have a lot of stuff during the day delivered to a security desk. At least I know it's there. Um, so the idea is to make sure that you're on top of it by tracking by making sure you're ordering, go backwards. First of all, make sure you're ordering from a legitimate source. So if you're ordering from some organization that doesn't have any real tracking platform, uh, as I have in the past, I've ordered things that I really wanted and couldn't get anywhere else. And as a result of, um, you know, being not desperate to order them, but no other alternative, I ordered from some sites and, you know, $36 later, I still never got it. I still don't have the packages and no way to recover. So you learn your lesson, right? But here's what the police say. Here's what the experts say. They say to install a security camera outside your front door. That's the best thing, right? They also suggest reschedule a delivery if you're not going to be home or ask a neighbor to grab your packages. So one of the things you have to remember is if you're going away for, for the day, you're going to be gone a long time, um, you know, from day to, you know, daytime to nighttime. Let's say you're going to visit a relative out of town or whatever. You're driving, you know, be gone for the day. Um, and that's a day stuff's being delivered. Just make sure that you have an alternative delivery uh, location for them and or uh, preferably to have someone, one of your buddies, one of your neighbors, pick the stuff up and bring it inside. Same with your mail, your newspaper, and so on. If you're gone for days at a time, you temporarily cancel your newspaper or have somebody pick it up. You don't want people to know that you're not home. It's not a good thing, right, for people to know. That's why when people post online, I can't get it. They post online, oh, I'm here. I'm in such a country in such a country. So, so reschedule your packages when you can for sure. They also encourage you to use companies that have a tracking service, only ordering products from people that have tracking services or provide tracking services or some form of uh, online uh, por portal to stay in touch with your purchase, right? So Canada Post, in order to get a tracking number, you actually have to send it a different way. You can't just, you don't get a tracking number with something that you put stamps on. But you go to Canada Post, if you're sending a package or you want someone to send you a package, uh, the Postal Service, U.S. Postal Service, Canada Postal Service will give you a tracking number. You pay a little extra for that. But uh, that way you stay on top of it. You know where it is. You know where it's going. You know how it's going to get there and so on. Uh, I don't know about you, but me, man, I, the stress of just waiting for it to be delivered is enough. And then the craziness of trying to find it once it's delivered and it's not there, just, I don't know, too much for me to handle. I don't know about you. No one's really called in or said anything, but uh, I was wondering if uh, anyone else out there had issues with their packages being delivered. Um, so far, so good. Anything that I've ordered from Amazon that didn't show up, they gave me a credit instantly and ordered the stuff again and stayed on top of it. And they made sure it was delivered properly. And by the way, some of these organizations employ um, secondary third, you know, secondary third parties. Um, and, you know, they may not necessarily be best of breed either. Johnny in Winnipeg is going to share a story about some porch pirate stuff, I think. Hey, Johnny, how you doing? Oh, hi. Great, uh, great show. Uh, it's the uh, uh, beautiful weather we're having here. Uh, the, uh, happy holiday. You can hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great, John. I hear okay. you. Yeah, I just, I just uh, going to uh, mention about the deadlines coming up for 
international mail delivery and uh, domestic delivery have to be uh, uh, sent out by the middle of the month, you know, to get to uh, your location. Otherwise, you're uh, you're just not going to get there till after Christmas holidays. You know, there's a yeah. Uh, it, it's it's always been a uh, every year, but uh, people don't realize you. Even the, uh, the private companies, you, they you can pick your parcels up at their uh, offices. They have these pop up locations you can pick up at FedEx and UPS. So you don't have to even have it delivered to your house, you know, because you're you're just asking for trouble to have people find out where you're living. You know, they're gonna come back again uh, after. A few weeks to we do more damage to your property, yeah. so it's better if you're uh, good. Good uh, advice, John. I appreciate it, yeah. buddy. Thanks yeah. for calling and uh, stay in touch, man. Keep yourself nice and warm out there in Winnipeg. Uh, uh, Alexa, she's in North Vancouver. They, she is, I believe, she is in North Vancouver. How you doing tonight? Hey, good. How are you? Hey, you know, not bad. Having a good time, enjoying myself. Now that I'm talking to you, even better. Thank you. So, tell me a porch <laughs> pirate. Tell me a porch pirate story. All right, so I run a Christmas toy drive charity. We've done it for the last 10 years. And during COVID, um, we found it really difficult with drop-offs because of, uh, like, stores being shut down and all that stuff. So we started using the Amazon wish list. Right. Um, so people could go online and just purchase the gift and anonymously, and then it gets sent to my house, right? Right. So there was a, we can see on that list what's been purchased and what hasn't been purchased and how many of them have been purchased. And so we're waiting here trying to figure out, we don't have access to tracking or anything. So we're sitting here and and just sort of waiting and wishing and hoping on a prayer, like when are these gifts going to show up? Um, And there's a bunch of them that, that didn't show up. And we, because they're done anonymously, we don't have access to the tracking or anything uh, order numbers, nothing, the people who purchase it do. And so when we phone and go, oh, it, like this hasn't shown up, this hasn't shown up, this hasn't shown up, Amazon's really good at sending out uh, the ones that are recognized by Amazon and sent out by Amazon. But if it's an individual purchaser, which you don't know when yeah, you're yeah, them, yeah, those ones, it's done. They don't get a refund. They don't get, you don't get anything. And we have, yeah, we have no idea where, where it went. If someone grabbed it, I have a, I mean, I have a, the first year I did it, I did not have a, a camera and then I got one. Um, but yeah, they're not getting stolen from my house. So where are they going? And, and why doesn't Amazon support it? It's like, and then we feel bad because we're like, these people are donating these toys to this cause. And you're not getting them. I know. Well, That's and it's not—it's not even that we're not getting them, but where's the refund going? Yeah, no right? kidding. You know, it's it's it, it's a it's a vicious it's a vicious cycle, and unfortunately, people don't understand the the depth to which people get hurt. Things like you know gifts and, and donations and stuff not getting to where they're supposed to. But hopefully, this will be a much better year for you, Alexa. And thank you so much for calling. Uh, and you're right; the the solution is being more vigilant, right? That's being being stay on top of your game and make sure you know where stuff is coming from and when it's supposed to get there. So, thank you both for sharing, uh, both uh, Johnny and uh, Alexa, for sharing. Their story appreciate it um gonna get here to a quick story uh about super pigs and really um i lived uh, in the u.s for a while and we one day woke up in the morning to a horrible sound outside the home we were staying in at the time and my wife found a family of what looked like oversized 
pigs. They're gray. They're disgusting looking. They're drooling. They're they they they're, they're huge snouts. Um, they're called javelinas. Apparently, we learned that uh, as we went. Uh, and these javelinas like to charge things like pumpkins on uh, Halloween and other crops and things that you have around, small pets. Um, I had a couple of vicious dogs, so they didn't come too close to them. Um, but uh, at the time, um, we weren't quite sure what the hell they were coming from Canada and living in Ontario. They come from the concrete jungle in Toronto. Don't see a lot of, uh, out of uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, animals out there and a lot of uh, animal life of, of any description other than a few dogs and cats and some birds. Um, but the, the, these super pigs, imagine, imagine you're, you're living somewhere. I think they're pretty prevalent uh, in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, uh, the strong presence. Uh, and they're spreading now across Ontario and Quebec uh, and into the South, Minnesota, North Dakota and Montana. Uh, but anyway, they're, they're a boar like, they're a boar like uh, pig. They're, they're a boar like animal. Um, they're some kind of, cross between something and something but they're they're huge and um they're it's a domestic swine and they are um they live in the wild so they're they're feral swines they live in the in the in the wild so they're not uh, anywhere any way domesticated or controllable uh but they cause about 2.5 billion dollars in damage in the u.s every year so imagine you're you know living somewhere you're on a farm or on a property you have a nice some nice growth out back um you know you're you got some crops and stuff going on some animals a few pets uh and then suddenly you notice these things and if you see them at night their eyes kind of shine, right? They're kind of really freaky. I'll never forget. My wife took a picture. I wish you could see it. Uh, they're freaky looking, right? They've just got these eyes that kind of stare in at you. And yeah, man. They're, and, and they're dangerous little things, eh? They're, they're, they're not little things, I should say. They're dangerous animals. They could kill you, uh, eat a dog or a cat in no time. Uh, but they do a lot of, a lot of damage to, um, to crops and such, right? Um, which has a whole impact on your bank account if you're a farmer. Um, and, you know, here you are, for example, let's say you're just going for a, a hike somewhere in, you know, uh, northern Manitoba or somewhere like that or north part of Minnesota. You're going for a hike with a buddy or your your loved one and a couple of kids. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you're walking around the corner and you see one. You can hear some grunting and you look out and you see one of these things. They're pretty vicious. You know, we're talking 130 to 180 pound animal at the smaller size. Maybe you know, 10, 100 pounds heavier than that on the bigger size. You can get at least three hundred pounds. These they're 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 really kind of kind of huge, right? And they're a hybrid. They as I said, they're a hybrid between a wild uh, Eurasian boar and some kind of domesticated swine. Um, and no one knows exactly what what the makeup of them are exactly, but they are uh, con considered to be super pigs. Um, and there's no real ethical solution, right? Um, people have, some folks have uh, uh, sent down uh, from planes and helicopters uh, massive um, nets to try to grab them uh, in the wild. Uh, but, you know, they're very good at surviving Canadian winters. They somehow mean managed to, to get through that, no problem. Um, you know, there was some hunting in the U.S. or they were hunting for these things at one point, which even made it worse because a lot of them then would go into hibernation like I would if someone was hunting me, right? Go into hibernation and they're harder to find, harder to seek out. So it made it more difficult, right, to to uh, to try to eradicate them. But they're super aggressive. They're super aggressive. Um, and they're the most, according to the experts, they are the most invasive animal on the planet today. 
they cost, as I said, about $2.5 billion in crop damages every year. There's been about 62,000 of these uh, animals, uh, documented sightings of them. Um, and their strong presence to super pigs, as I said, in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, uh, but they're spreading and they're, they're gaining momentum, as they say. Uh, and it's, uh, it's not really native to North America. They were brought over by some colonists or explorers or something centuries ago, and they caught on from there and there and there and there, right? So position of a, of a farmer in the prairies, these are impossible to control, highly aggressive and ferocious pests. They're not, you know, there's just no real solution to uh, keeping them off your crops. You know, fencing is one thing, but very expensive to fence acres and acres of property. So it's it's a thing. Pay attention. It's a thing. If you're out roaming around uh, uh, Canada and, uh, you know, in any of the outlying areas, you may, in fact, you know, be on a snowmobile or something like that. Uh, be careful that these things uh, don't come your way, because if they do, you want to avoid them like the plague, right? You want to avoid them because they are, they're, they're just disgusting animals. They all spread things like uh, swine flu and, and other terrible diseases as well. So uh, we're not quite sure what they're going to do. The experts aren't quite sure what they're going to do, but they are looking at uh, some form of uh, poisons don't work because it'll affect other other animals in the system. And anyway, wild boars, man, that's what's out there. That's what we got to be worried about. Let's get to the reality about uh, two and a half, three years ago, I was working at another uh, working for another uh, another broadcast company, and uh, did the the night shift the night shift on Saturday nights like I do here, but I was in studio uh, for years prior to the pandemic when in studio became something we didn't do anymore, and now we're you know most of us are working from home, especially weekend worker the weekend workers or weekend uh, broadcasters such as myself. Anyway, I digress. My wife and I, she was downtown with me. She came with me that night. Uh, we made a bit of a Saturday evening of it, and then she came to the studio. Um, and on our way home, coming up uh, the Don Valley Parkway in Toronto, which is a, a fairly substantial parkway, um, I, I guess I you know, made a lane change. I'm not sure I put my signal on or didn't put my signal on. Whatever it was, I must have pissed off somebody because beside us came two guys in a Honda Civic, a white Honda Civic. I'll never forget it. Uh, and um, they began, began trying to chase us up, the, up, up along the highway. Um, anyway, they eventually got to where we get cut off, come off our, to where we come off our, our, our exit. They joined to come off the exit at the same time. I got on the phone with the police. The police were on the phone with me while these guys were following. We then got stuck behind a red light and a few uh, other cars. And these idiots got out of their car and started pounding my window. Now, my wife was in the car with me, so I didn't react in a way that I might have reacted had she not been. Uh, in the car with me, and I do have ways to defend myself, um, nor that, nor was that really the right solution. Well, you know, what we're talking about right now is road rage. Not, not that long ago um, in, uh, in, uh, uh, on Franklin Boulevard near uh, the Can Amera Parkway, uh, someone uh, pulled, where there, a couple of guys were driving, um, one, one was cutting off the other, and the next thing we know, one of them pulls out a gun. Right. So the, the concept of road rage, as much as I wanted to get out of the car and do what I wanted to do, which was me being, you know, macho and bravado and clearly would have been a stupid choice, um, even if, you know, I would have done the damage I probably could have done. But still a stupid choice. I probably would have left in handcuffs. Um, but, the you know, these days you have to be careful because, you know, throwing a finger at somebody because they cut you off 
can lead to more than just uh, them, you know, leaning on their horn and giving you a hard time about it. It can lead to uh, putting your life in danger, quite quite literally putting your life in danger. Um, so we have to pay attention. We have to behave ourselves and do a better job, right, of being out there and doing what we need to do. Fatalities caused by speeding and aggressive driving uh, in Ontario were up significantly across the country, across the country, up significantly. Uh, people um, making poor decisions uh, with uh, during road rage, some of them uh, well under the influence of, of alcohol or drugs. Um, but, you know, 78% of drivers witnessed road rage in this past year and only 51% actually admit to engaging in it, according to a survey. Men are more likely than women to engage in confrontational road rage, uh, like obscene gesturing and rolling down the window to yell at somebody, stopping and exiting the vehicle. Stupidest thing in the world to do, stopping and getting out of the car. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And I tell people all the time, stay in your own lane. If someone wants to fly by you and 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 and, and drive aggressively, let them go. It's not your job to be the to, to be the the aggressive driving police. And it's going to put you in a bad situation. Because people will follow you like they did with my wife and I, follow us off the road. And who knows what that would have ended up with um, had I not jumped the, jumped the median and taken my car and went the you know, four-wheel drive vehicle. I was able to get up over the curve and, and got out of their way. Otherwise, who knows if these guys would have gotten into my car. And then I would have had to do something that you know was probably not a good thing to do. And I would have ended up in huge trouble. So the whole concept of road rage has everything to do with how you act and react. Someone does something that infuriates you, okay, get out of their way. Let them go. It's not your job to get out of the car and yell at someone because they stole their, your parking spot in a, in a parking lot. Just find another parking spot. And don't get me wrong, man. I, I've done this. I've been where you are. We're talking about the same thing, right? We're talking about exactly the same thing. But what I'm suggesting to you here is that, you know, the intelligent thing is stay out of the way. Don't get involved. That's what all the experts say. The experts say that it makes no sense at all to, to get involved in situations that you have no control over. Imagine, right? You're in a car, you're driving along, you see, you see somebody acting aggressively. He then gets into an altercation with somebody else. One of them gets out of the car. The next thing's pounding the guy's window. Two guys get out and start street, having a, a fist fight in the, in, in the middle of the highway. Like, first of all, it's going to put you in a bad spot. You know, vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, getting to where you want to get to on time. It's, it creates uh, creates uh, traffic issues, number one. Number two, you put your life in danger every time, right? Every time. That's exactly what's, what happens. You, you know, you get involved in a situation, right? You get into a place, but uh, listen, you know, we have to pay attention to what works for us. And, you know, getting your aggression out on somebody because they don't drive properly it's probably not a good a good choice of uh, not a good decision in terms of choices you can make to keep yourself out of harm's way. I, I now anticipate everybody that I driving with has some form of weapon or in some way, shape, or form does not have themselves together well enough to make healthy decisions. So I just stay out of their way. I, I smile. I move on. I you know I just don't get involved in the whole uh, whole situation, right? Because as far as I'm concerned. I can't rise to the, I, I can't lower myself to the same level as the person who's causing me to feel stressed or causing me to react to someone's aggressive behavior. Just stay out of their way. Let them go. You know, don't, don't make it your business to make everything right. You know, the percentage of people that are getting hurt on the street, killed on the street, stabbed, beaten, shot, um, followed home, threatened in other ways, shapes, like it's, it's rising, not getting better. 
So if someone's not in their right mind and they're having a hard time, and they're definitely having a difficult day, let them go. The financial penalties, penalties for dangerous driving, chasing each other, you know, you see people chasing each other along the highway, um, you know, just to try to catch up with them so they can throw a finger at them or a fist or yell at them through the, through the window. Just doesn't make sense to me, man. Does it make sense to you? Is it something you would do? I don't think so. Send me a text message. Let me know. 877-399-9898. Love to uh, hear from you and hear what you think about that whole situation. I don't know. I try to avoid stupid people everywhere I can, especially on the road. There's thousands of pounds of vehicle there. That's that's a that's a that's a, a weapon you can kill somebody with, right? It's a dangerous weapon. You know, a vehicle is a lot of pounds of dangerous weapon. Why would you want to go up against somebody who you don't even know if they're in their right mind, they're not in their right mind? You know, like people do odd things when they're feeling aggressive. Maybe they had a bad time at the office, bad day at work. Their wife or their kids pissed them off and they're just in a bad mood and looking for the next person on the on, on one of the major highways to take or a parking lot or schoolyard to take it out on. So I don't want that person to be me. That is for sure. But we gotta get into a conversation now. We're gonna talk a little bit about um sextortion and um the effect that it's having extortion online, the effects that it's having on young people today and on our, our communities and in our households. Um, it's going to be a graphic conversation. So if you're the least bit squeamy, squeamish about this kind of stuff, um, uh, you probably uh, want to maybe listen away to something else at the moment, but uh, stick with us because it's an important subject. So if you can, if you can manage the conversation, stick with us and uh, hear where this goes. So, you know, we, we've all heard and talked about and seen online and read about and listened to stories uh, about this young man, Carson Cleland, uh, who may he rest in peace. He took his life on October the 12th. He's a 12 year old boy. Uh, he was being extorted, sexually extorted online. Um, and uh, it's a, it, this is a, something that's been up and coming and been becoming more and more prevalent um, as, uh, as, uh, the internet becomes more and more mature. And, um, you know, the, the, there's, there's just so many stories. There's, you know, 62 reports of online sextortion um, so far in Prince George, according to the RCMP, which surpasses last year's numbers of 56 uh, in 2022. So there's a, a, you know, big issue about uh, predators online and, and how to deal with it and, and, and how you kind of protect yourself and protect your, your, your kids, your loved ones from, from this kind of, of activity. And if you're not sure what sextortion is, it's, it's, uh, according to cybertip.ca, it's explained on its website, a form of blackmail. Extorters lure victims, oftentimes children and young men in particular, by convincing them to send sexual content. When they do, extorters will then threaten to leak the content online, share it with the victim's friends or family, or share it with the victim's school. I've often been, uh, I've, I've probably a couple dozen times received messages from people threatening uh, to show my uh, pictures of me um, online in inappropriate pornographic websites, uh, doing things, I guess, uh, whatever, and uh, threatening to share my pictures online with all my friends and family. Well, the, the only thing is I don't, access those kinds of websites so they don't have any video they don't have any pictures but you know um, not a lot of people can say the same thing some people maybe surf around some stuff that might be a little uncomfortable for sure um, but I want to talk about it 
from the perspective of what must be going through the minds of some of these young people. You know, when I was younger, you know, the girls would be, you know, called out as being sluts or being loose if they had a boyfriend that said something negative about them and you shared it around the school out schoolyard and maybe wrote something on somebody's locker or, you know, some people had stuff written on their parents' garage doors, you know, on their on, painted on and so on. Now this kind of extortion, this kind of sexual extortion, this extortion takes place online and it's it doesn't go away. You can't just wipe it off like you can spray paint and other uh, other things, other forms of, of this type of terrible violence. I have two guests that are going to join me right now. Uh, Carol Todd is uh, one of them. Um, she is uh, in charge of the Amanda Todd Legacy Society, which is a nonprofit uh, program created by Carol to help youth beyond the availability of resources and assistance for anti-bullying, mental health, and internet safety. Um, as you know, Amanda Todd uh, took her life um, and... Um, in 2020 in 2012 on october 10th 2012 it's a day that carol will never forget that's her mom she's going to join us here right now as with steve mcdonald is as well he is a trainer and a senior threat analyst with an organization called safer schools together all about cyberbullying, all about a way to uh, teaching schools and parents and anyone who wants to listen uh ways to avoid these kinds of terrible terrible situations 322 cases in july last year were sent to the national sexual abuse uh, tip line at cybertip.ca this is not something that's going away anytime soon and i want you all to listen to me and hear this right out of my mouth right now parents did not create this reality this came this created not from the household not from the schoolyard but an entirely different beast that we have no idea uh how it how to keep it under control but we're doing the best we can and thanks to these two for being here to talk about it uh carol and steven thanks for being here with me tonight and uh talking about this difficult subject and uh, see what we can do here to make a difference uh and i'm, portray I'm portraying both of you as people at your best in a circumstance where we're dealing with people clearly at their worst. So thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you very um, much for having us. Yeah. Pleasure. So, um, well, the pleasure to have you, but I wish we could talk about something else. Uh, but anyway, uh, 12 year old Carson, he killed himself after being targeted online, as we said in the onset of this thing. And it, it's not new to either one of the two of you. Uh, these situations are just, um, something you know just I, I i you know i'm an older folk i got grandchildren now i worry about them uh my kids I, you know were a little less active um you know in terms of their age and how it lined up but what's going on out there uh carol uh, like why don't we start with you like this is like out of control and you know even past the the years that your 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 daughter may she rest in peace took her life does it seem like we're going in the right direction though does it um, people are calling it a pandemic. The numbers are, of course, increasing. I just saw some statistics that said um, in BC, the whole province, last year there were 8,000 reported cases. And now this year, um, as of this date, there's 16,000. Um, it's definitely not just a province, provincial problem or a Canadian problem. It's a global problem. Um, I've talked to people from the U.S. and Australia and the U.K., and this is happening everywhere, only because the Internet has no boundaries, right? They're right, just right. Um, it, predators can come from all over, and I liken it to our children are like a big goldfish pond to them. And um, they're, they're just picking off our kids one by one, and sextortion, um, there's been an increase in boys extortion 
um, for financial gains with the organized rings. Um, but as you know, with my daughter, it is extortions happen been happening for a long time. Um, right. And, and that is traditional sextortion for with girls. They threaten for more images and more videos and for boys, right. it's financial gains. Right. Yeah. Steven, um, real quick here, because we're going to go to break here in a bit, but, um, you know, I appreciate you being here. The, you know, I, I don't know how old a folk, how old a guy you are, but, um, it just seems like it's more <laughs> complex today, uh, to be a kid, uh, in this society. Um, and with the advent of internet and, and extortion and sextortion and stuff like that, um, you know, how raising children, like how do, how does a parent, get their head around the the complexity of this, especially when you're trying to give your kids some freedom and, and empower them. Like what's, what's the solution here to make sure that, you know, we're trying to do the right thing. Uh, that's a great question. And I'm in my late twenties. So, uh, okay, for myself, so you can't relate. <laughs> no, I mean, for myself, um, high school is when Facebook really kicked off. So, I saw the development of social media, the anonymous communications continue to grow. And so one of the main points that we really try to talk with parents and caregivers uh, about is in reality, social media can seem like a bit of a beast. It can be a little bit scary when we start talking about every aspect of the internet, but we want to bring it back to those basic conversations basic conversations that we have with our children on a daily basis that are driven home, look both ways before you cross the street, don't walk up to random strangers. But when we get online, the barriers and the walls for a lot of people come down, including myself when I was younger. Uh, when it comes to being online, we're more welcome to share information. We feel more comfortable because we're behind a screen. And in reality, for our parents and caregivers, one of the big things we want to be making sure of is that we're just having these conversations on a daily basis, talking about the interactions that we have online. Uh, it doesn't have to be every single evening that we're going to sit down and spend two hours on sextortion. But in reality, talking about the, in, the impact yeah. of social media on them so that our children see us have human reactions. Oh, I saw something that was really great and positive, but you know what happened? I scrolled one post down and okay. I saw something that made me have to take a walk. Here we're talking about sextortion and online, uh, illegal online activities as it relates to our children and some and many adults as well, but our children in particular uh, being extorted and blackmailed online, uh, sexual relate, sexually related uh, to pictures and and, uh, and and video and so on. Um, and and there's you know eighteen thousand reports of teen sex blackmail were made in the U.S. in 2021, but the number of victims they believe to be twice as high, could be two times that, thirty six thousand victims potentially. The rate of extortion was five times higher in 2022 than in 2012. You have to understand the difference between blackmail and extortion. Extortion, the perpetrator tries to get money or other assets by threatening to commit violence against the victim. And blackmail, a perpetrator knows something about a victim that the victim does not want to be disclosed. This perpetrator then offers to stay silent 
in return for some favors, money, or other forms of uh, return, right? With me tonight is my, are my two guests, Carol Todd and Stephen McDonald. Carol Todd is the mom of Amanda Todd. May she rest in peace. She's part of, she started the Amanda Todd Legacy Society. And Stephen McDonald, um, he is a Safer Schools Together uh, trainer, senior threat analyst, and uh, just all-around uh, cool young man who understands what's going on out there. Thank you both uh, for being here with me and uh, having this conversation. Um, you know, Carol, what, what was it like for you when, when you first found out that your daughter was targeted online? You know, did you, or did you have anything leading up to it? Did you get, did you have some idea that she was, um, you know, she was feeling off or, or kind of, you know, uh, troubled by something? I mean, I, I know moms and dads have a unique ability to read their kids. Um, did something kind of show now that you look back, obviously hindsight, the, do you look back and sort of say that, you know, she was acting really weird a couple of days before or whatever? Do you, do you have that kind of recollection? Well, it was kind of like she was a teenager, right? So, right. And, and having, having, as an educator, I, I work in school district 43. Um, teenagers go through all these hormonal things, especially girls, right? Um, and so I really didn't know. And, and I, and she was sort of that peer angst. So I thought mm -hmm. her behaviors were all related to that. It wasn't until the police showed up at my door um, December 23rd of 2010 and reported that uh, intimate image had been sent out through social media of Amanda and they were doing a wellness check that I understood what was happening to her. And then my mind went into full gear. Like this is, this is 2010. Didn't even know sextortion was a word back. It wasn't even a word back then. Yeah, it no became kidding. a word after Amanda's death. Right. And so, mm -hmm. and, and law enforcement. So if we didn't know what the word was law enforcement, this was really new in their realm and technology yeah. is definitely more advanced than it was back then, right? So we've learned a lot in the last 11 years since her death. Um, unfortunately, technology has advanced and um, predators and nefarious people have gotten smarter in how they victimize our children, right? So um, we've learned a lot, but we have so much more to learn. Um, this isn't in, this has never been in the, parenting guidebook on no, on how yeah, to parent no your child through using technology right so yeah. we're all we're all doing this like new and and so, at you as a grandparent and you have grandchildren this is all great for you to learn because um, absolutely oftentimes children children will listen to their grandparents more than they will their parents sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's the case because we give them more candy than their parents for sure. Uh, <laughs> did, you know, parents. You know, parents need to understand that they didn't create this reality. I, I deal with so many parents. Um, you know, for years and years who blame themselves for their, their, their kids getting into situations uh, such as this or making other uh, involved in other situations that are, that are damaging. It's not, you know, how did you, how did you manage uh, Carol, how did you manage to not take sort of not blame yourself? Because, you know, you're obviously a, an intelligent woman. You're educated. You understand this stuff now, certainly looking back. But was there a period of time where you thought it, sort of thought it might have been your fault, even though, you know, it's not? Yes. really. Yes, yeah. So how do, how do, how do, par how do parents get over? How do parents get over that, Stephen? How do parents get over the fact that they feel like, you know, 
I, I should have done more. I could have done more. You know, that's after, after God forbid, after the a horrible situation. And then they have to kind of reflect. Ah, what do you, what do you say to parents like that, Stephen? Well, in cases like this, it's, it's understanding the fact that for myself, of course, I've never gone through such a tragic loss like that. Mm-hmm. So in reality, what we just try and do is understand that, This is a whole new age when it comes to the sheer access, not only that our children have to content, information, and strangers, but that the people out there, those bad actors online, have access to our children. And so in reality, I don't know if I can really even say what I would uh, say to a parent uh, in that situation, other than the fact uh, that is absolutely not their fault. In these cases, it's important that we work together as a community, uh, doing conversations like this, pushing resources, and ensuring that this is a topic that we continue to discuss, regardless of what is happening in our communities, whether there has been a recent tragic loss, as there has been, or that there wasn't, we continue this conversation. So, can I, Carol, can I jump in as a parent? Yeah, I was going to go right to you. <laughs> Carry on please. <laughs> um, it, it becomes survivor's guilt. Yeah. We raise our children the best we can. And when something happens, even if, if our children fall and hurt themselves, we often wonder, well, I know I, I could, could I have done something better? Should mm-hmm. you know, I put knee pads on my kids? So that mm-hmm. is a natural sort of parenting thing. Um, mm-hmm. And when I have conversations with kids, and I've had parent, I've had conversations with I hate to say this, many parents who have lost their children to sextortion, right? And wow. and the guilt arises. And so I have to say to them, this isn't your fault. This like this happened. It was it was the nefarious people at the other end. And you did what you did, because most of the parents I've talked to did talk to their children about online safety. But when you yeah. look at the the children like teenage brain and how it develops, kids think that they they are infallible right nothing can happen to them they're safe i can i know what i'm doing and and sometimes parents will you know they'll have their talks all the time but the the one thing that needs to be done is is continued conversations and i say to parents that i meet um that the conversations start really early and so you build a relationship you build a trusting relationship so that you your child will come to you no matter what you might hear things you don't want to hear but that's exactly. okay because I'd rather hear them than not hear them at all. And I tell the kids that um, I, I tell them about the red flags. There's there's many of them, um, and and to be aware of the red flags. And whenever something um, happens, that is a red flag. That's when you need to go and talk to an adult, a trusted adult, right? Um, because these are adult shaped problems. And, and exactly. kids have will have difficulties navigating around them, and they're horrible. I mean, it 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 just breaks my heart. It just it's horrible. Yeah, Stephen, uh, back in terms of what we're doing in the schools, um, you know, the, I know you you work you work in the, on these programs. How do you get to a kid? I mean, I, I get that we're, I get to, I get that we have a way to talk to parents and educators and professionals alike uh, in some meaningful way. But how does a kid pay attention? I mean, we used to tell them not to quit smoking, but they'd smoke anyway. How do you tell them not to do something without it getting even more exciting when you explain it? 
That's a good question. Uh, so in this case, I'm fortunate here as well. Part of my role is I get to actually go out here at Safer Schools together. And yeah. we do, I speak in uh, assemblies. And so yeah. go in there, we talk about digital literacy, safety, and digital citizenship, and what to do if something goes wrong. One of the big things that we talk to them about is just bringing it back to the understanding of Solomon, if, if something happens, regardless of whether it's extortion or you make another mistake, it's a mistake. And what we want to make sure is that they report it, whether it's to their trusted adults, uh, to the reporting tools, uh, which we hope that all schools have or will get in the future. Uh, here in British Columbia, there's the Erase Reported tool for every single student across the board to be able to report yeah. to their school any worrisome, anything worrisome that they see. But the biggest way to get through in those assemblies or even one-on-one -on -one is just trying to level with the students, understanding the fact, I tell them immediately when I speak to them, I say, hey, you know what? I'm not here to tell you what you can and can't do because I know for sure that you're going to listen to some of the things I say and some of it you're going to maybe roll your eyes at me a little bit. But it's yeah, important sure. that you take this information and do with it what you will. But just all I draw back to is what we want to make sure is that we can get you out of trouble, not into trouble. So whether it's reporting through a reporting tool, talking to a trusted adult, or just, of course, taking stock of how much personal information you posted online. We show them how much information is easily accessible in those presentations. We show yeah. them how easy it is to identify where someone were to go to school, where they might live, and all where they play sports. All of it yeah. is so easily accessible because of how open we are online. Well, I appreciate both of you uh, being here with me today. I'd like to have you both come back on again uh, as as uh, we try to unravel some of this stuff. And uh, again, I'm sad that we have to have these conversations. But uh, both Carol and and Stephen, I, I thank you both for coming and and being a part of this. Uh, you really are. Uh, thank God, there's good people like you out there doing the things you're doing to make a difference. So thank you so much for being a part of the show tonight. We'll definitely have you come back on and uh, continue this dialogue uh, some more. Stephen McDonald, uh, Carol Todd, appreciate both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank you us. Very much.